Welcome to B2B Power Hour, where we dive deep into the real sales issues that stop you from making a good living in the profession we love. We discuss how to get, keep, and grow customers by unpacking the prospecting and selling techniques that work in 2023, the ones that you want in your personal OS as a seller. Forget the hustle. It's time for a Power Hour. Now, on to today's episode. Morgan, Morgan, Morgan. You know, an accidental business later, two years, almost 200 episodes, and you're sitting in the hot seat. Why is Morgan sitting in the hot seat? Because this is one of those rare moments that we get to go look back at the road less traveled. And I know we joke about all the different live show errors we saw, all the different fun, like, you know, learning to go and promote your podcast, because that's an important part instead of just, you know, running with it. This is one of those rare moments, buddy, that we get to go sit back and reflect on what the hell happened. And <laughs> I man, thought, what the hell happened? <laughs> why not start with, and this is a hard one. Mm. What were your three most memorable moments of this entire experience? Whoa, you've taken a page out of my interview playbook. Can you start with the big question up front? <laughs> man coming out swinging today. I think, okay, well, there's been so many, which makes it so difficult to try and narrow it down to just a few. I do think somewhere, so one of the most memorable, I do think it's somewhere in the archive. I think it's our live show with Amelia and KD. And it was our first live show in person, which is crazy if you think about (laughs) it. Like, like we've been running the V2V Power Hour for like a year and months by that point. And then we did this. Well, no, um, the Amelia and KD one was after maybe our, our normal Friday Live. Like it was the week following. But anyways, whatever our first in-person live show was, it was so weird. <laughs> weird in a good way. Weird because you and I have been sitting across digital cameras for ever yeah forever by that point doing live shows and particularly by the time we got in person doing multiple a week plus podcast interviews and so many more and i remember uh standing next to you doing a live show and i was thinking wait 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 wait. what the hell how do we get here (laughs) We're, we're live streaming from nick's little uh hobbit hole and uh with sharing our earbuds too. That was my other yes. favorite. Cause it's like, how the hell do we do audio without the echo? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. We had to share earbuds. We were, oh, man, what a time. So I think that's like a top that's, that might be just out of like sheer circumstance. One of the top three, where it was like this virtual thing became a real life thing. And that really sank in on that Friday live. That's a good one. Good call. Um, Another one. I don't. I don't know if we're rank rank ordering here. I don't know if it's number two, number one, number three. I think um, there was a Friday live show I remember doing after a week in which we did a live show every single day, and we might have done multiple live shows in one day that week. Oh yeah, I remember that. And. The reason I remember the Friday Live was that it was a very poorly attended Friday Live show. And 
And it was memorable because we had such an amazing week, right? And the Friday Live was of whatever Friday Live. It was a good enough piece of content. But it was this, it was this real like embodiment of our willingness to experiment. Like we've always been experimenting. We talk about our experiments, but like we were even experimenting with the format of the show, the pace of the show, um, you know, partnerships with the show. And we were doing it in real time. And it's really, the reason it's so memorable to me is like, I remember coming back maybe from vacation in that spring. And this had to only have been a few weeks after that. And I came back to this like fully fledged plan to do like more lives, like really invest in lives. And that Friday was like this first confirmation that it was a possible, like that whole week we did some incredible content and we got amazing exposure and the platform was primed at the time for us to do lives. But it was also a testament that there was a ceiling that that we had pushed too far and that there were diminishing returns on how much time we could spend um, promoting and doing lives in a given week. And I don't know if it was like a breath of fresh air at the time, but it was nice. It was like, again, like every time we do experiments, we're always looking for results. And so it was a result. And it was like, okay, well, and I remember we talked about it afterwards. We were like, I think we pushed this week too hard. <laughs> I think we really, I think we really pushed the week uh, too hard <laughs> with all the content. So that would be, that's definitely a top memory of mine because we were, that was crazy. I remember trying to prepare for those. And, and I don't know if listeners, if you remember back to that, because it was a lot of you stick to podcast on your whatever platform you pick. And then people that followed us on LinkedIn stayed on LinkedIn. But it was every day. And I think even Restream or one of the platforms reached out to called us the live stream team. I vaguely remember this. Because we had set a record. Yeah, yeah. I vaguely remember that. Well, and also, yeah, because we like pushed it out of our brain because it was like so exhausting. And it's like you think of like what the effort it takes to like do a Friday or a Saturday Night Live. Mm, mm -hmm, mm. And we definitely didn't go to like that level. But there's definitely a lot more orchestration and a lot more that goes into being ready to perform. Yes. And be present. Yes. hundred percent. I think the other memorable, maybe top three memory was very early on. And um, this is one for the archive, folks. <laughs> it was when we we rebranded into the B2B Power Hour. Oh, God. <laughs> he went there. So, but... but Plug your ears, I remember, everyone. <laughs> I, I mean, I remember painstakingly working on, like, new designs and, like, new live show covers and talking with you about new formats very early on. And like the B2B Power Hour visual style we have today is very different than what it was in the beginning. It used to be a lot more black. It used to be a lot more capital letters. Today, it's a little bit more colorful and has a bit more pizzazz to it. But uh, this project started with hashtag TV. <laughs> Which I'm sure it. exists somewhere on the internet. Like I, I, I tried my best to make it not. It. But yeah, <laughs> here's the thing: if you're listening to this and and you really, really want to go search for it, I would recommend you not because it's not good content. It's just it's not great formats. It's like we were so early in our content creation journey and our pacing, our collaboration, everything that like 
we were doing, if I recall, it was like 30 minute live shows, mostly on Fridays, or like we even tried different times during the week, I remember. And we weren't talking about sales at the time. Like we were trying, you know, in sync TV was this it was whole, our like, talk therapy. Yeah, it was our talk therapy show. It was like marketing and sales and what needed to change in B2B. And then I think you had gotten some feedback through those weeks and that we had consolidated and we realized that like the name didn't really stick and people didn't really understand what was going on. And then I don't remember why, but I do remember looking up b2bpowerhour.com and realizing it was available. And I thought, well, that's a good name. <laughs> I think the only reason, I think one of the things, to, oh, A, I just want to say those four episodes had I think there were the six. highest rate of growth. Shh. They don't need to know. <laughs> they don't need to know how many. <laughs> no, there were six or eight even. I think it was. Oh. I think I, it was I like know two it, months. I don't know if it was full, like a full eight, but it was the best, fastest learning. I think of this whole like it really catapulted us into mm. everything. Yeah. And honestly, those people that, you know, were there at the beginning, they gave us feedback that, you know, honestly, if it weren't for them, I don't know what would have happened because yeah. that's what pushed this whole thing forward started the whole thing. So yeah, I mean, I remember it was this real commitment that we made because so part of the rebrand that I remember and the reason it was so memorable is that we decided Friday morning, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern was going to be our slot. And then we created the new imagery and we decided to make it a full hour instead of 30 minutes because we felt it was a little constrained. And that is like the launch pad moment for this rocket ship that we were on for the past two and a half years. Um, so very memorable because we did have the prototype live show before we did the B2B Power Hour. Uh, it just did not work out. <laughs> it just wasn't just wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, it was such an interesting part of this whole journey because like Power Hour was my joke about prospecting. Because mm -hmm. remember, I was like, screw this. I don't know why these assholes tell us that we need to be prospecting for 20, 30 hours. They just suck at their job if they need to go and prospect that much because they didn't do the hard work to do their research mm. to figure out who to talk to and when. Mm. So I, mm -hmm. oh, tongue in cheek joke, but still the joke that lives <laughs> on. But, it definitely lives on. <laughs> and I think with that said, you know, how we, this all started is that I was taking a copywriting course because I was trying to figure out what does it take to succeed in sales and not die in the process? Like, who is actually making this happen without hustling themselves to the death, you know, into their in their grave? And you were, you know, working on your marketing skills to become a better seller, to go and build an agency and build yourself. And so I have to ask the big question. Mm. So sorry in advance. Another one? <laughs> Did you accomplish your original goal of starting the show? Yes, and, and way beyond it. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know if I could tell you what my original goal was in starting the show. I think, I think for me, it was a fun collaboration to start. It was just something we were doing. I had no idea where it would take us. Yeah, it was. I had no idea where it would take us and all the things that we've experienced since. And it has far surpassed any expectation or dream or hope even of what it could be. I mean, I, I still remember like crossing 10,000 downloads is crazy 
for a niche podcast in B2B. Like, sure, if you do like New York Times or whatever, you're going to get a lot more. But like, there really are only a few podcasts in the B2B space that have crossed that threshold. And some out of just the fact that they've been around for that long. But I remember we crossed that threshold pretty early on. I don't know if it was our first 50 episodes, but it was somewhere right around there. And yeah, it was pretty, I think at 30, we is when we really started to pick up momentum because we started to get enough feedback, understand the formats, people. Yeah. People told us what they wanted. Yeah. And that's also, it's hard for me to say, well, I think my original goal for the show was to have fun and see where it went. So I definitely accomplished <laughs> that. But on, I mean, on top of it, if, if I, you know, if we really want to get strategic, build an audience, achieve a lot of downloads on a show, have a community of people who support us, um, build out a brand in the space. I think all those things have been accomplished um, through this show and also because of the show. You know, this has been a launch pad for other things that we've gotten up to. And B2B Power Hour has, I mean, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I do think that in some ways it's been synonymous with the Nick and Morgan show. And that's reaped its own benefits through the years. Absolutely. It's funny, my next question was going to be what made everything worth it. And I, what you just made me think of with the Nick and Morgan show is, do you remember when we were doing that client project literally across the campus from MIT? Oh, yeah. And then went to record that or one of our first like on the road, on the episodes. road shows yeah. across from Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, how in the hell did we get here? <laughs> Genuinely, I thought that a lot <laughs> when when things really, I think I underestimated it. And I also think people in general underestimate the impact that a show can have when it's done well. And I don't think like we necessarily did the show perfectly. I think there's there's things that we could have done better, but I think we did it well. And the our style, our humor, our focus and content. I mean, those things lived beyond us. Like we've talked a lot about, you know, if you're a marketer or a seller, you would call this one to many content, right? You can have a conversation with a lot of people all at once as one person. And I think I underestimated that at the beginning, like the actual impact of one to many. And the and, community that came. And, oh, I mean, it, and sure, maybe we got lucky too. Like I always am cautious about like survivorship bias and the fact that we've gotten to the other side of the mountain and many haven't. Like, could but we? That's not fair. It's like this per somebody surfing. As long as you're sure. out there, you know, in the ocean and you're swimming out to the wave, you never know how big the wave's going to be. But if you're not out there and if you're not trying, you're never going to hit the big wave anyways. We, yeah, we may have lucked out and been in the right place at the right time. You know, before LinkedIn was really pushing monetization, a few other goodies. That's and what I like, was mostly thinking about. Yeah. But I think as much as I'd like to joke and say we were lucky, we put a lot of work into listening. And we were just, I think the thing we were lucky about is how many people in the community reached out to help us dial things in. They're like, hey, could you guys talk about this? Or we, I really like this format or this segment. And I think that was the luck is the willingness for people mm. to help us learn. I think that's a great call out. Yes, let me asterisk my statement. I think you could do what we've done if you're listening to this today. I think you could. I think the way that you would have to do it is different than the way that we were able to do it. Um, I do think 
we were right time, right place when it came to LinkedIn promoting live shows and live streaming. And Even that ship has sailed. <laughs> <laughs> that ship is uh, into the night. It is no longer, I, I mean, sure, you can get people to it. But like, I remember there were months that went by, Nick, in which you didn't even have to invite people to your live show and we would get hundreds oh, of yeah. signups. I mean, like, because like when we were just starting out, I remember we had this post show cadence, design the next show, <laughs> put it out, invite people who attended the last thing. And like we did that every single week. But then we got to a point in momentum where like as long as we included the right keywords in the event description and we published it on a personal profile, yours usually, and not a company page, we could get like a hundreds of signups without manually inviting everyone. Do you remember the cold call power hour? Oh my God, that was... <laughs> Do you remember me hopping into the live streaming booth and telling the folks how many people were waiting for them? <laughs> I Do mean, you know how many watch minutes that got? Did I ever tell you? Oh, I'm. did we breach a million on that? Or we did breach a million watch minutes on that show. Wow, wow, wow. What did Saad, what was his joke that we made him LinkedIn famous because he thought yeah. that person was going to mug him and they were, are you Saad? <laughs> are you Saad? Yeah, on the streets of Toronto, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't think you could pull off that cold call power hour in the same way that we were able to do so. Because literally, from you what I remember, try. I mean, you can, you can try, but like for us, all I remember is that we published an event it got reshared six times by all the people who were participating. And then suddenly we had a thousand registrants easily. And, and 450 people, people 15 minutes waiting. before the show started. And waiting. everybody were like, what do you mean? And then it was like, I think it broke. It was 601 when we went live. Yeah, I think we got above 600 something and on on one or two of those uh, live. I mean, it was amazing. It was it was crazy. I couldn't even keep up with the comments. People like, tell me what the comments. I'm like, how? <laughs> like, it was just it was just kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. I felt like a it was streamer. crazy. <laughs> yeah, you were like a Twitch streamer. Exactly. <laughs> so nuts. Yeah, that was that was the first like awestrucking moment, I have to say, like that. Yeah. Like it was like, what the hell? Like this is we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. And that it's funny because like I don't I don't really think of those shows as like the moments that we made it, but what you just said, the awestruck for sure. The fact that like I think those cold call power hours happened under the 12 month mark of B2B Power Hour. Yeah, they did. So with under 12 months, we went from a live show Friday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern <laughs> with, yeah, like five people maybe. And and like probably not our mothers, but certainly close friends being a couple of them <laughs> to having 600, 700 people live on a random Thursday doing cold calls. I mean, that's extraordinary. And I, I mean... I'm so grateful for that experience. You're right. It was, it's an awe striking experience. Do you remember too, whenever you would ask me like, how did this one do? And I'm like, well, cause everybody, like how people were consuming change, they, they were listening more as podcasts mm. and the people that came live are the ones that had questions or they wanted to be part of that experiment or be part of like the workshop feel of it and like work through something. But do you remember that point when you're like, how many watch minutes? It's like, well, we only got you know, three or 4,000, but 
you know, by the end of day tomorrow, we'll be at at least 10,000 and 100,000 by the end of the week. And you're like, sorry, what? Yes, I do actually remember that. (laughs) And I will say, we started, if I recall, we started to learn the podcast preference pretty early on. Now, that didn't inform a lot of, um, it just meant we were going to, (laughs) back to the joke you cracked in the opening, it just meant that we were going to offer our live shows in podcast format. We didn't like promote the podcast for <laughs> months. I, like we we did, uh, uh, this will earn the explicit warning. We did fuck all to promote the podcast um, for months. All we were doing- Do you remember when Nick Bennett messaged me? I don't know if I remember this. He's like, uh, and it, all, it was an awful, I was still figuring out my hosting skills and I was lackluster at best, but Nick was a champ and he's so amazing. And so Nick Bennett, oh, he's a wonderful, you know, suffered through, helped me out, made me a better host for it. Goes live, messages me however many months later. He's like, so when's this going live? It's like, it's been lump. Oh, shit. He's <laughs> <laughs> been already live for like two or four months. And he's like, oh, you know, oh. maybe tell people. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe tell people you have a podcast, Nick. Um, but it's true because so early on. Like the first 10 episodes of the show are just live shows, our first 10 weekly live shows. And then we started to throw in interviews and we sustained that interviews plus live show format for months before we really started promoting anything. I mean, we might have had a company page very early on just to like put it on our LinkedIn profiles to say that we were hosts at B2B Power Hour, but we weren't posting there. We weren't really sharing out stuff on our personal pages. They were just like designed for consumption in the podcast feed and we didn't promote it, which is in retrospect, really funny. Uh, and I should have known better, but had to, uh, first time for everything. You live and you <laughs> we, learn. We didn't know. We, so we didn't know. I'll go, I'll kind of go into circle back, but mm. so what, if you had to put it, like your finger on one thing of like, what made everything worth it? Moment. Mm. Uh, milestone. What was that one thing that you go look back to and you're like, holy shit, I can't believe we did that. And as you guys can probably hear from this, I didn't prompt Morgan on this at all. Yeah. <laughs> this kind is... of like payback for some of the other episodes where Morgan's hey. like, like put two weeks into researching his questions and he shows up and he's like, but wait, there's, <laughs> there's more. more. <laughs> I think, I don't know if it's a specific moment, but I think what made it all worth it were the people that, and the relationships that we built along the way. Yeah. And maybe if the moment of, I think the best embodiment of that was Saster 2022, I think, where we were able to meet so many people from LinkedIn in real life. And it was an instant connection. Like there was, it was like, we were online. Now we are offline. Now we're in real life. But it's bigger than just that one conference. It's the it's that, I mean, there are people who I know both of us text, call, that we've never met in real, like we've never met in person. There are plenty of people who we also do that, who we've met in person. But like a little comment thread on LinkedIn transformed into a group DM, which transformed into some calls just to get to know each other, which transformed into you know, a friendship, lots of friendship. And we, I think, have a community, or I feel this at least, that we have a community of friendships 
with all sorts of different people, guests. You know, I will say that I'm proud of our guest roster. And I'm also proud to say that not for all of our guests, but for most of them, I feel like I could reach out to them and say, hey, what's up? Yeah. You know, I think there's very few. I think there's some guests that we probably couldn't do that with, but either in the lead up to the show or like after the show, we translated that time with them into more than just a podcast interview. And I must say, I think that's because we were never super interested in just hosting people for their own sake. Like, I know there's some shows out there who just are like, oh, yeah, submit your name and information. And God, how many podcast agents do we get in our email inboxes promoting somebody new? I don't think we've ever taken somebody off of that. Or maybe we took we two. Took a, we took a few. A couple. But it was like, it was less than... That were the most interesting. Yeah, that were most interesting. But on like, what would I do differently? Mm. I would have ignored them 100%. Yeah. Because it, one of the things I learned is that the podcast almost opened the door where I never got a no to meeting anyone, which yeah. surprised the hell out of both of us, the people that we've been building. Yeah, sure. You're like, sorry, what? Yeah. Seriously? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Let's go. And I think the biggest difference is that we leaned into our curiosity. We had mm. a personal mission for that episode that we wanted to learn. It was our platform for learning and we were taking on, our, on that journey. But those podcast managers that book people on didn't have the same goal. So it ruined the whole episode. Like there's a few I can think of off the top of my head. I just, I told you not to post. I'm like, this is garbage. Not that uh, the person yes. was bad. It was just didn't fit or it didn't feel right. Yeah. And I think that's also part of the, like the style and kind of to what we were talking about previously. I think one thing I always enjoyed is that we were never so set on a particular format because you and I aren't really. Well, do you remember when we tried? <laughs> I do remember when we tried, and I remember how well it went too. <laughs> that was a quick lesson. Yeah. I think, did it take one episode or did it take two? No, it took us editing through one or two of the episodes. It might even just been one. And yes. I'm like, did your part suck as much as my part sucked? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. We, I don't think you or I are really great. At, like we're great on our feet. We're much better on our feet than we are rehearsed. I think maybe I can do the penguin rehearsal more than you. But I, I wouldn't consider myself. It feels rote. It feels weird to me to try and like package something into a format. Whereas all of our conversations from live shows or podcasts or live shows that got put onto the podcast, like those are freewheeling for a reason. Like um, they're open conversations for a reason because I think that's how you and I always felt most comfortable doing it. We felt most comfortable, first of all, I think between you and I, that I could show up having researched something for two weeks and throw you some crazy questions and you would find your way out of the hole I dug for you. <laughs> well, I think the one thing that I... That amazed me about that whole process that I think allowed for that as well is because of the quality of our audience that showed up every single episode that we could mm. be like, hey, like it's almost like our talk therapy. Like this is something that we're working on. We don't understand. We want to learn this. And we could brainstorm live 
get somewhere, like get traction within, you know, narrow down the ideas, reorganize it, and then actually turn it into something actionable by the end. And that's amazing. And that, I can't say that was just us. Yeah, it was a skill that we got better at, you know, more times we screwed it up, but... <laughs> You know, don't tell anyone yeah how crazy it's just so crazy to think about like some of like remember the account-based sales development using linkedin oh my gosh and like don't get me wrong like we were doing that before yeah but the feedback and how that drove that to be so much better where people are like yeah i you know i used to go and call you know 50 100 a thousand people or email a thousand people and i'd get nothing and now it's like one out of five one out of six companies i reach out to get back and turn into an opportunity Mm -hmm. like wow what surprised you and like learning about those elements that worked and it's like a podcast for research and a podcast for networking like sweetfish definitely got it right like Mm content-based networking works (laughs) yes yes it does and i i think to your point if i wasn't going to answer the community angle i would have said the degree to which we built in public like Mm. And the things that emerged from us building in public. Like, I remember maybe it was Riley Blaisdell who had said to you or me that he had was listening to older episodes of the show. And he was like, you guys have been saying the same thing for, <laughs> for the entire show. And you just say it differently now. And I was like, he's right, I think. But to that feedback process, I think we got better and better at articulating things that we knew to be true because of the feedback that we got. And also the space that we had Friday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern (laughs) to explore that with a live audience. Like the questions that we would get live informed a lot of how we would poke holes in ideas or structure ideas in the future or or redo write-ups or talk about it in one-on-ones and try out different things or like have Google Docs that we'd spin up and share to 20 different people. I know you probably have dozens, if not hundreds of those from the last two and a half years. <laughs> I'm like, okay, here's here's something that we just talked about here. Check this out, add something or like, let me know your feedback and thoughts. And to me, it is literally impossible to do that in a vacuum. You can't do that in a back room. It is the hard work that we put in over two and a half years or so to continue to get that community input and feedback, which is crazy, basically. What would, if you were to start everything over again? Oh, God. <laughs> and just like, let's just take in Sync TV. Okay. <laughs> but if we had to restart mm. in those first four episodes, what would you do differently? And like selling, like so the salespeople that are listening, people that are passing this off to their manager, because maybe their manager is saying that, you know, having a podcast and having a voice is a waste of time, or the marketer that's saying, you know, this isn't instantly converting leads, so I need to go and cut it. And you're saying, no, listen to this. What would be your advice to them, Morgan, like starting over, doing those first four episodes or 10 and saying, this is where the value comes from? What would be your advice? That's such a good question. I think the thing that we didn't answer until like episode 30 (laughs) was what's the point of the show? I think we had, we stumbled into the point of the show. We had an original point of the show, which was talk therapy, but then that talk therapy turned into something a little bit bigger. And 
we realized that there was something here that we could create. And for me, I think we never really turned the B2B Power Hour into product advertisements. We never turned it into um, tying back to some commercial service, which I think you can do in a podcast format. I think there's been people in the B2B podcasting who have done a really, who have done that to a higher degree, right? Like maybe top of mind is what, um, oh, what did, was the show Refine Labs used to have? State of Demand Gen. Like mm-hmm. they, they did a really good job of always tying back to basically their service suite. And that was the point of the show. Gong too. Gong stuff. Great example, right? Yeah, it's more or less thought leadership content or it's interviews with people who illuminate one angle and then it always gets tied back to more or less something you could do with Gong or like if you hire Gong, you get this similar kind of expertise. That could be a point of the show. For us, I think the point of the show was always just to continue to learn and to build in public and to build community. And at this heart was to help salespeople, to help people along the same journey as as you, Nick, and as me to some extent as a freelancer, How do you do this without burning out or without ending up in medical struggles? How do you actually thrive in this career? And we didn't really get to that point until many, many episodes in. So if I was to start over, I would start with, what's the point of the show? Am I doing this to network with people to get... So for example... Am I doing this to get access to 20 different CROs because I just want access to 20 different CROs? Okay, that can be a point of a show. Do a, right? Am I doing this for attention? (laughs) Am I just trying to go and get attention in the marketplace, have interesting conversations and tie it back to my personal brand? Um, Or am I doing this to try and sell something, right? Am I launching a podcast to interview prospects to network with prospects, have conversations with them about relevant problems, and then publish that as a podcast. Those are three of like an infinite number of ways, the point of the show. And then honestly, Nick, after defining the goal of the show, I would probably do like dry three dry runs with people. I wouldn't hold, like we now, okay, so there's, a, there's some pros cons here. <laughs> I'm thinking of like, if we had to do it all over again, I think this is true, or my gut is telling me it is. We always, we basically published every live show that we did into the podcast. We definitely had interviews that we did not publish onto the podcast. To your point, it just didn't fit what we were going after. I think that if we were starting over again and we defined the new goal, I would go and try the format that I think I want to do, but not hold myself to try and have to publish it. like. I would I would say I would go do the outreach and talk to people and say, hey, I'm doing this podcast or whatever. Let's record something, record something at the end of it. If it's shit, then you say, okay, well, it's shit. I'm not going to publish it because you and I pretty much published everything we recorded um, to for better or worse, you know, <laughs> for for better. Or worse. I think the one thing I would add to that is in sales, I always got taught that that one activity is all there was. Mm. And it's, I think it's the same reason why people don't ask me better questions about prospecting. They're so, you know, transfixed on the message. Well, instead of trying to justify why you're interrupting people because nobody did the hard work to figure out in the first place, stop wasting your time on that part, you know, go where you get better leverage. And I think of that when that comes to a podcast is what's the full experience. 
And I think back to when we did one extra step, we had a resource to give away or we linked to blog article or re reference mm-hmm. different podcasts or different pieces and how the quality of conversations, the amount, like the data from the experiments, like how everything just 10 X instantly. And I think that's one thing that we get sold short when it comes to sales and a lot of things is that if you don't look at holistically, look at the whole thing, start to finish what that journey is, why you're doing it. It never goes the mile. And I, I wish somebody would have kicked me <laughs> and said, Hey, look at how well this is working. Do more of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah, I think that ties into the hilarity around podcast promotion for the guest experience. Um, and also, yeah, how you continue to get that feedback. I love that call out. I think that's a great, great call out. I think one thing I wouldn't change is just going for it. Like it's Friday. It's genuinely, I, I genuinely think the best thing we ever did is we said, no matter what it's Friday at 9am Pacific, 12pm Eastern, we're going live because we've had, um, episodes that, we were not ready for, but we found ourselves ready for at Friday morning. And and uh, similarly with like a publishing cadence, we always had you know for a time we had a lot of episodes coming out every week, but we always had an episode out on a certain day at a certain time or or once a week. So you had to have it. It was it was non negotiable. It was a thing that had to be shipped, whether you were ready or not. And man, I would not change that for the world. That was the best thing we ever, or one of the best things we ever did, was just commit and look at what happened. Amen. I think just to wrap this up as our last question, you know, we're up, this is 198, we're coming in on 200. Is it a fair question to ask, what's next? Is there anything that's tickling your curiosity that you want to explore? Or if you had to make a major shift on like, the main topic or focus that you would explore now based on what you've learned from this? That's a good question. It's honestly one I've been pondering lately. (laughs) You're full of good questions today. I think, I don't know. I don't think I really have a strong, I mean, strong perspective on that yet. What I do know or what I have been seeing is that the way companies generate revenue is shifting under everyone's feet right now. And it is shifting fast. And and part and I think about this like early on. Maybe well, episode 1 was why your sales team shouldn't sell anything less than $50,000, which was maybe a prophetic episode on our behalf. That was all Nick's idea, I take no credit. Um about how technology and automation is going to change the state of sales. And that ultimately in enterprise selling or mid-market sales, you get to a certain deal size in which you have to have people involved. But below that, there's a big question to what degree do people need to get involved? And, and this is where it becomes interesting, which is it's clear product-led growth is not the salvation it was promised. There's a lot of companies that are struggling to execute PLG or execute PLG with enterprise sales, which is a hilarious sort of mirror to that episode one a couple of years ago. Um, But even beyond that, like there are still companies getting onboarded to a sales engagement platform like Outreach. You know, 
outreach has been around for a long time. Buyers have, have gotten used to the automated email sequences in the same way that all of us got used to the, the follow-up e-commerce emails we would get from all those online stores as consumers. And it was just Black Friday here in the States, so my inbox is full of follow-on offers and coupons and, hey, buy some more from us into the holiday season sort of things, and I just tune it all out. Of course, because this is like year 13 of this nonsense, and I'm not going to pay attention to it anymore. And the same thing is happening in B2B. And I, you know, I think the challenge of this, Nick, and what I continue to think about is that the the because so much is shifting, it's really unclear whose job it is to solve this. Because there are things that individual sellers can do to try and right the ship, but they can't do it alone. And Sadly, because there's a lot out of their locus of control that impacts their ability to sell. And that might be more true now than it has been in the last few years. Um, especially as we continue to like fragment out who we pay attention to and the different little niche communities we're all a part of. And also, uh, you know, let me just add a companion thought on this ramble. We have seen the rise and fall of attention to specific influencers on LinkedIn. Everybody has had their moment, right? It's not just 15 minutes of fame. They might have had six months worth of fame. And now they have their dedicated community. They've made it. They have people who continue to listen to them consistently. You can repeat that, probably, but the end goal now is very different. And the marketplace is very different than it was in 2019, let alone 2021. Oh, God. Um, and there are lots and lots of names who were on the platform who are no longer there. And I, I don't know. I feel like all of those topics are so are, continue to fascinate me. They, they're, they continue to interest me because it has, A, real-life ramifications to the people inside these companies. How their livelihoods, not just sellers, marketers, whether you get laid off and so on. And also be about the future of these industries. You know, like, man, if a company cannot successfully sell itself, what does that mean? And that is a challenging question because to successfully sell your company, the story, the product, whatever. Back in 2018, when I was basically a CMO for a city, very different than today. You could get away with all sorts of shit back then that you cannot do today. <laughs> well, I think one thing that I picked up from all of this and from you mm. and your dad and many, many others, it's all about the experience and what's motivating you to build that ability and that driving force behind it. And one of the things I heard recently that really tied this up and you know tied into a bow nicely for me was Mr. Beast said, you know, everybody's talking about how much money they're making and all this. He's like, that's not a goal. That's a milestone. Hmm. My goal is to make better videos. Hmm. So what's your, what's your goal? I think if you guys take anything out of this, you know, what is your goal? Because if your goal is to sell as much of your product, well, your product better be good enough. So, you know, what's within your control? What is your goal? What what is that thing that you can keep striving for forever that better never ends the journey? And right now, it's more real than ever. You know, companies, 
companies can leave cash in the bank and make 5% or more in the US. Yeah, make less than 5% earnings. On, yeah. <laughs> operations. <laughs> but but also like investing in technology. I don't know, like we've always returned to some of these core skill sets, but part of I think what is also changing beneath us, I have recently seen a lot of um, people we've interacted with changing jobs. And and I've seen brand names that were popular no longer being popular. And I've seen startups that were open on the ascent shuttering as of January 1, 2024. And that is because, I mean, change is incessant. Um, it never stops. But there really is a lot of change afoot in our industry, uh, more than maybe we are used to. And and instead of it happening sequentially, it's happening all at once. <laughs> um, it's ha- it's all happening at the same moment. So those are some topics for the future, I think, to worth exploring. I think that's a good place to like mark our pin and say thank you. Uh, it's because of you guys listening. Every one of you, the conversations, the questions, the pushback the ones you did listen to, the ones you didn't listen to, all that feedback is what drove us to find better. It, you guys were our rudder that steered us through the storms. And I can't tell you how much that means. Morgan, I can't tell you how much it means that you stuck with me through all the shit, the endless ep- live shows that you let me. You're like, oh my God, he's doing more. The <laughs> brainstorming sessions, the endless <laughs> content. Yeah, if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be where we are today and the opportunities that we have now would honestly not exist. So can't thank you enough. You know, couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's 2023. It's no longer acceptable to suffer in silence. You guys know if you need help, reach out, get in the comments, join the communities. People want to help you even if your company doesn't. And just know that you're not always the problem. Sometimes they're just too embarrassed to step up. So we're here and there's many others that are there to support you reach out and sell better thanks everyone and next time nick is in the hot seat so we'll see you then (laughs) take care everyone are you ready to level up your skills and take on fun challenges with great people that want to see you succeed join the one-up club today as a member you get the best insights and takeaways from the show delivered to you every week plus Brand new resources developed by our team of sales experts, the team of 10. Go to b2bpowerhour.com slash join to get started today.